This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I am your host. My name's Art Wiederman. I'm a dental division director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey, and I work out of Southern California. Uh, our office is in Tustin, and um, our firm, Ide Bailey, which I've been affiliated with now for about a year and a half, works with just under 1,000 dentists. Our group in Tustin um, works with about 300 dental practices. And um, I, I love doing this podcast, folks. It's just a passion of mine. We're in our fourth year. And one of the great things about doing this is I get to meet iconic people in the dental profession. And today I have, uh, in fact, if you if you take Dr. Mark Costas and you uh, look up the word iconic in the dictionary, you'll probably see his picture there. Uh, Dr. Costas is one of the um, most prominent people in dentistry. Um, he, uh, is the founder of the Dental Success Institute. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in a moment, but we're going to talk about overhead today. Um, we're going to talk about how to make your practice more profitable, how to cut your overhead, which is right up my alley. I mean, I've been lecturing on that for almost 40 years to groups all over the country. And, uh, Dr. Costas has a, uh, tried and true proven methodology of how to help doctors become more profitable. And he and his team's have helped thousands of dentists to do so. So we will talk to Dr. Costas. I am very excited about uh, having him on the podcast today. But first, I want to give you some information. Please go on to our partner, Decision in Dentistry's website, which is uh, www.decisionsindentistry.com. The best clinical content for any uh, magazine in dentistry. Uh, they have over 140 continuing education classes that they uh, that you can buy at a very, very reasonable price. Please go on to their um, website. If you're looking for a dental CPA anywhere in the United States, we are part of the Academy of Dental CPAs, 24 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 10,000 dentists. I'd barely represents over 1,000. So uh, look at our website, www.adcpa.org. I do want to give you some updates so this podcast will um, will air uh, on, um, I believe it's going to air uh, end of January. Uh, all of you are going to be required if you received money from the HHS Provider Relief Fund. Uh, and you most all of you got 2% of your revenues in August of 2020. So if you had a million-dollar practice, you got $20,000. If you had a $2 million practice, you got $40,000. Plus, you may very well have applied for phase three, which you would have received in late 2020 or early 2021, and phase four, which many of you who applied would have received in the last month or so. You are now going to be required to report to the Department of Health and Human Services um, between January 1 and March 31, a whole bunch of information. We uh, will have published a webinar on January 21st. Uh, a step-by-step booklet of how to navigate and fill out the information on this uh, program. If you got money and you do not report by March 31st, and this is not my doing, you will be asked to give the money back. They're not going to give any more extensions according to what they've told us. 
So since this podcast will be on after we do the live broadcast, if you are interested in uh, registering for the recording of it, please send me an email at a Wiederman. That's a W I E D E R M A N at idebailey.com. Uh, also, if you haven't applied for the for um, the employee retention tax credit, we still have doctors doing it for 2020. We've helped over 100 practices get close to now three and a half million dollars in government money. Um, if you had a greater than 50% reduction in your gross receipts in uh, the second quarter of 2020 or 20% uh, reduction in your gross receipts comparing any quarter, the first three quarters of 2021 versus 2019, again, let me know. Give us a call. Uh, we've helped a lot of doctors get a lot of money back. Now, the government hasn't sent any of the money yet. Uh, they're six to nine months behind, but you will get it. Be sure to check out our new I'd Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. All right. With that said, I want to get to our uh, amazing guest today, Dr. Mark Costas. Uh, Dr. Costas is the founder of the Dental Success Institute. It's a company committed to helping dentists to achieve their full potential while recapturing their passion for dentistry. He's also the co-founder and CEO of the Dental Success Network, which is a positive and collaborative group of nearly 1,000 dentists that is focused on providing its members with all of the tools and resources necessary to excel within the profession of dentistry. Dr. Casas is the international and number one Amazon bestselling author of the book Pillars of Dental Success. Uh, he is a fellow podcaster, which is why he's my new best friend. Uh, his internet radio show, which uh, if, unless you've been under a rock, you've probably listened to, is called the Dental Dentalpreneur Podcast, has now listeners from over 150 countries. I'm jealous. I'm not in his, I think I'm in, I'm, I'm in like 90. So he, he's got me beat on that. Mark and his wife, Leslie, have three sons, Bryce, Brendan, Brady, and their dogs, Bear and Hayes. They live in Prescott, Arizona. So my first question, Dr. Costas, first of all, mm -hmm. welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and uh, Management. Thanks, Art. Great to be here. So, okay. So, so the, um, uh, the boys all start with B. The first dog is a B. Why Hayes? Why not a B for Hayes? <laughs> it's Hazel. Um, Hazel. Oh, do yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, we messed up on that, I guess. Uh, we, we <laughs> <laughs> I just got, we, I think we got fatigued with the bees, but, uh, but when you look at her, she's just so cute. She's only five pounds. She, she definitely is a hazel. Um, um, I'm sure oh. we could have found, found something, uh, in the bee realm for her, but she's, she's perfectly named, I think. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a mulligan on that one. So, uh, <laughs> so, so Dr. Costas, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit of your history and your story? I know that you talk about, uh, uh, you've had your, your journey was not without setbacks, and uh, then in your first year you made some mistakes that really made you stronger. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I mean, uh, dentistry wasn't on my radar at all until I was about 16 years old, playing in my first varsity baseball game, and I had a high-speed collision with the left field fence. I was a left fielder, um, broke my jaw, lost most of my upper teeth and uh, upper anterior teeth, and that sent me on a trajectory of you know, uh, interest in dentistry because I spent 18 months in and out of the offices of dental specialists and general dentists and prosthodontists and plastic surgeons. And, uh, on the other side of that, I was, I was, uh, really, really interested in dentistry, what, uh, the practitioners were able to do to fix my smile. I was very, um, appreciative of, of them, but I was also in awe of their clinical skills. So got really interested in dentistry. I'm an entrepreneur at heart and um, uh, initially, I thought that I wanted to go into medicine. Uh, and then when this um, fortunate mishap happened and I had that collision, it was dentistry all the way. I ended up uh, uh, playing a year of college football and then decided to hang up the cleats and focus on getting into dental school. Um, unfortunately, um, my GPA wasn't awesome because I've had kind of a learning disability my whole life, um, which we figured out how to, to manage. Uh, my my uh, teachers used to have to read uh, my exams to me in order for me to process the information correctly. But uh, we figured out uh, how to navigate that. Um, and uh, I started applying to dental schools. 
it was hard to convince dental school application committees that I was a good applicant because my GPA was average, not bad, but average. My test scores were average as well. Um, so it took me three years and 21 tries to get into dental school. Um, during that time, I got into the executive MBA program and took a bunch of business classes and I bought my first business, which was a catering truck. Um, and uh, by the time I got into dental school, three years after I started applying, uh, I felt that I had a different, uh, a different background and different level of business understanding than did my classmates. I uh, graduated from dental school in 2002 from Marquette. That was the one and only school that, that, uh, that accepted me out of, out of 21 schools and, uh, and uh, started uh, purchasing or starting practices from scratch. I ended up um, either uh, acquiring or starting from scratch 16 total dental practices um, over the years. I currently have four left. Um, I've, I've, uh, I've done just about everything you could possibly do wrong uh, in, in the, in the uh, practice ownership realm, which is why I feel qualified to talk about um, you know, how to manage overhead and systemization and leadership because I've done it all wrong. Well, um, do- Dr. Costas, anybody yeah. who is, in, and kudos to you for everything that you've done, uh, and everything you've done to help the dental profession. But I mean, I, I ran my own business for 38 years. Nobody runs a business and doesn't make mistakes. And that's yeah. how you learn. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, you said you were, co- uh, uh, you were um, high, high school baseball player, college football player. Yeah, I played everything. I mean, I was a wrestler, baseball player, football player. I was in uh, kickboxer and martial arts my whole life. Um, I had a couple offers to play baseball in in college, but I chose to play football, which was probably a big mistake given my my physical stature. I'm only about <laughs> five nine, um, but uh, that was my passion. I played I played football and uh, had a pretty serious back injury, broke my collarbone my first year, and just decided to hang it up. Yeah, well, I I would love to spend the whole podcast talking sports. My son played college uh, college baseball and had a chance to get drafted and decided that you know. Dad, I think I'm going to go a different direction, and I think he made the right decisions. It's a tough road to go. So, let, let, let's yeah. let's get into the subject because you got so much to share. Um, sure. And I, I've listened to a couple of your you know couple of your podcasts, and they're fantastic, by the way. So, Thank one you. of the things you say it it's not hard to fix overhead problems. How do you, why do you say that? Well, I mean, I think the the big uh, hurdle or obstacle for most people when they're when they're trying to manage their dental practice when they're trying to run a dental practice is that they just don't understand the basics of of how overhead works. You know, you as a CPA take for granted that everybody in the world knows how to read a financial report, but but very few of us do, and I never would have unless I you know uh, got into the MBA program and and owned my own small business. But we aren't we aren't spit out of dental school with this innate knowledge of knowing how to read a financial report, understand categorizations that when we're looking at a P&L, the difference between a, an income statement, a P&L, and a balance sheet, all that stuff to us is extremely foreign. But we have this intellectual capacity to understand all this stuff. It's just that nobody ever taught it to us. So many people go through their entire careers just not understanding the basics of how money flows through their practice. Once you get that information and that understanding everything it's like a bolt of lightning hits you on top of the head it's like the clouds part and the sun comes out and it's like oh my gosh this isn't that hard you have to understand which levers and buttons to push and pull in order to to maximize your profit and decrease your overhead but until you understand the basics um it's it's just a mystery once you understand the basics it's really really straightforward most dentists never get that basic level of understanding from what i've that- seen no, and, and I agree, and, and you've you've lectured all over the world, and and I've lectured all over the country, and it's it's just, you know, they 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 they're almost afraid of it, and mm-hmm. um, we want to, as, as as the people that help to coach them, we want to help, uh, you know, change that, and I get a lot of, well, I I just don't understand it, and I, well, I let Susie handle it, and mm-hmm. and I let my wife or my husband handle it, or something, yeah, something like that. So let let's jump right in because there's so much to talk about. I know that sure. you have three phases um, in your coaching that you talk to people about um, overhead. Um, and let me start with your phase one. And if I, if I don't get this right, please correct me. So sure. in your phase one, you're looking for, I think it's 30% of the revenues of the practice should be go should go to payroll. 
uh, you, you talk about wanting to have the best staff and the best dental team. 30% going to overhead, 30% going to doctor compensation, 10% profit. So let, let's start with how you view overhead in phase one, and then we'll move on to the different phases and some other stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, you know, there there are lots of estimates out there. I haven't gotten, I haven't been able to find the most accurate estimate, but um, you know, years ago when I started talking, the the closest estimate I could find was that the average dental practice had a, an overhead of sixty eight to seventy two percent. That's probably about right. Yeah. So that that's that's a range we're looking at. Let's just say it's sixty five to seventy five percent. Okay. So um, when you're looking at numbers like that, uh, it's it's important to be able to know what goes into those categories and where the money is going, right? So when we started to put these phases together, we wanted, um, and we also use belts. We use white belt, blue belt, brown belt, and black belt. Our black belt level uh, practices are very, very efficient, very, very profitable. And I'll get into that in a second here. But the phase one practice to us, um, we're looking at breaking these categories down into payroll, which we believe in a phase one practice is acceptable under 30%. Now this is, I get a lot of static here when I say that uh, payroll is acceptable up to 30%. Remember that this is a phase one practice. We don't want any of our practices to stay at phase one. We we want to use this as a, a jumping off point to get eventually to phase two and eventually to phase two, uh, phase three. Nobody gets into martial arts to stay a white belt their entire their entire right. martial arts career. So we want to get to black belt eventually. But in this phase one uh, foundational period, we say, okay, it's acceptable to have 30% or less that's allocated to payroll because we don't want to skimp in this particular area because we believe that human capital is, is the most important thing to building a successful dental practice. The next category, the next 30% is fixed and variable expenses. So we're talking about um, all the disposables, all the variable expenses that happen to potentially increase or decrease with the production of the practice. And then all of those fixed expenses as well. You add all those things together, all those expenses, that's around 30% for a phase one practice. And then we like to see the providers in the practice making 30% of the total revenue. Whatever's left over, if you add up 30, 30, 30, that's 90%. Left over is 10%. And that's the other P word. Most people don't talk about the other P word. They talk about production as a P word in dentistry, but not profit. So profit is what the owner of the practice gets, whether or not they pick up a handpiece, when everything has been paid for, including their providers, whatever money is left over, that is, that is profit. And uh, that is what a phase one to us in, in my institute would, would be defined as. And, and that, that's interesting, Dr. Costas, because I, I was, when I started my dental career, I started it with the, at the time it was the Pacific Institute. And now it's the Pride Institute, and I don't, I don't know if they're even around anymore. But um, I worked with Dr. Jim Pride and Dr. Phil Whitener years and years ago, back in the '80s. And um, you know, we we used to talk about overhead. That uh, you know, that we we say the dental team salary, eighteen to twenty percent, not counting hygiene. Hygiene's a completely different animal. It depends on you know how much uh, production you're doing in the four thousand codes, how big of a hygiene program you have, but. I'd say 30%, 28 to 30 for most of my practices in the, you know, 500 to a million and a half range is about right. Um, and, but, you know, a lot of doctors, they don't understand overhead. Now, now when we talk about doctor's compensation, are you including their salary or their pension, their car, their plane, their, you know, sports tickets? I mean, what, what are you including in that? Yeah, it depends on if it's the owner doc or if it's an associate doc, right? So if it's an owner doc, we we pay them based on their production, right? Their production, right. not including all the other stuff. So the plane and all the other things that could be extracted from the PL in an adjusted PL, that goes into another category. That that's part of the profitability because we're using this these extra funds to do these other fun things. Now, whether or not it's legal to write them off in the business is irrespective of that. So we're- well, that's, we're my, that's my job. <laughs> yeah, that, that's your job, right? That's and my when, job. That's not your job. When we're evaluating a practice and calculating how much our tax liability is, that's where you guys come in. And we can add all of those things, uh, take them away or, or add certain things back to make the profitability and the EBITDA look better. But, but yes, that is, that is your compensation as a provider would be um, considered in that 30%. So, so when you, and again, you've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of practices, uh, most of the time they're coming to you because they are in phase one. They are 
in uh, trouble. You you did a actually I was I was fascinated last night. I was listening uh, on the internet to one of your podcasts, and, and it was called the Doctor Glenn podcast. I don't know if you remember Doctor Glenn podcast and. Uh, this Dr. Glenn was a, a fictitious doctor, and he had written you a letter and said, you know, I, I'm just distraught. I, I want to think about leaving dentistry. I, I don't feel like I have control. And, and and I suspect that a lot of the doctors that you come in contact with, not only in your lectures, but in your coaching, most of them are at phase one, or they, they wouldn't be coming to you. So what, what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing folks make in this area when when you get to see them for the first time? Yeah, that that's a that's a really good question, Art. And I will say that uh, when I started doing this eleven years ago, now when I started working with dentists and and uh, not being just a, a provider in the trenches, I saw a lot of sub like we call them no belts because they're not they haven't even gotten their white belt yet because their overhead is eighty, ninety, sometimes one hundred and ten percent. And so these poor docs just don't have an awareness of where their money is going. And they're working hard and they're trying to do all the right things and they're getting advanced clinical training and they're spending a ton of money on marketing because they think that the remedy is to get more new patients and to close more treatment, but they haven't fixed the the mechanism yet, right? So they don't even recognize that there's holes in their bucket because what they're doing is they're looking at the account at the end of the month or at the end of two weeks and saying, do I have enough for payroll or not? I could put off shine for another two weeks. Um, or another six months uh, in the case uh, a lot of times, or the lab, I'll just move to another lab because they've cut us off because we haven't paid them in three months, um, but I have enough for payroll. So that is that is the level at which a lot of people manage the money within their dental practice. So I would agree. So to, to answer your question, there's a number of different things that people are doing incorrectly, but the number one thing is lack of awareness. So when we are working with a phase one client, or somebody that's brand new and their overhead is way above 60%, we're just doing a, 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 the best job that we can of educating them as far as where their money is going. So we have these reports that are just a simplified version of a P&L and we say, okay, here's an industry standard for a phase one practice. This is what we're going to be shooting for. And if there's anything over that, as far as variance goes, then that number shows up in red. So we have the, the amount that there's the category, the amount that they're spending on that category, the industry standard, and then the delta, the, the variance, uh, where they are above that. So then they have this, this, this matrix that says, okay, I'm black in this category, I'm spending appropriately. I'm red in this category, I'm not spending appropriately to this percentage. I'm, I'm, I'm 4% over in dental supplies, for instance. It's like I'm somehow spending 9% of my total revenue on dental supplies when it says here that the industry average should be at but four and a half to five and a half percent, right? So uh, just an overall awareness, a visual awareness is very helpful, I find. Now, now one of the observations I've always made in dentistry, Dr. Costas, is that um, a lot of times dentists are underproducing for the amount of overhead they're incurring and the amount of uh, dental team that they have. Do you, do you see that a lot? A lot. I see that a lot, Art. So, right there's only there's only two ways to to uh, decrease overhead. There's there's increased production and revenue that actually comes in, and decreased expenses. Those are the really the only two ways. That's and right. A lot of a lot of times, the only you know if 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 you are a hammer, the whole world is a nail, right? So if we are clinicians, the only thing that we are really comfortable doing is trying to produce our way out of a problem. So if we don't have enough uh, ad- enough revenue coming in, I need to produce more. I need to increase my clinical skill set. I need to get more new patients and butts and seats into the practice. That is the remedy for the problem. That is in part a good place to start after you've fixed the holes in the bucket. And I hate to sound like a like a broken record, but you got to figure out where you're bleeding cash first and why. And once you do that, then, you know, increasing your clinical skill set and the number of new patients that come in, that is when you really lean on increasing production after you fix the infrastructure. And one place they should be looking before they start spending tens of thousands of dollars on marketing, I've been preaching this for years, is their uncompleted treatment plan report. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars is sitting there and and then, um, you know, things things like that. Um, give us some tips, Dr. Costas, on how to cut your overhead. Because I know that as we go to, as we move along in this discussion of phase two and phase three, uh, which we'll get to in a second, we're going to drop the overhead. But 
I mean, I know you talk about buying generic brands and things like that. What, what, what do you, what do you suggest to your uh, clients as far as how they can cut their overhead? Yeah. First of all, it's it's important to have good reporting that's up to date, right? And and you know, Art, that you probably get clients where their previous CPA maybe gave them a quarterly, you know, financial reporting. Um, sometimes it's biannual financial reporting. It's like, how am I supposed to manage a practice when when the data that I'm getting is is 120 days old? I see that a lot. It's crazy. I, I will tell you, Dr. Costas, that a large number of our clients we don't do anything with until year end. They say, okay, I, I got an email yesterday from somebody, one of my podcast listeners and said, Art, I love your podcast and this and that and that. And um, uh, I have a $500,000 practice. How much will you charge me to do uh, uh, my business return? And it's like, I almost don't, don't you know, I mean, we don't turn people away, but it, it's just really hard. Yeah. How can you manage your business? And and I ask people, what what do you look at? Well, it, just like you say, I, I I look at the I look at how much money I have in the bank. Well, no, that's not a way. Do you use metrics? Um, you know, and 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 stuff like that. So maybe some other tips on cutting the overhead. Yeah. So awareness for one. That's for one. And you know, it, it's funny if you talk to certain supply reps, they'll say, don't focus on that five percent. You know, buy this buy this hundred thousand dollar milling unit because that's going to decrease your your um, your lab fees and that's going to really ramp up your your uh, your production. It's like, well, first of all, let's let's count on the basics because you, this five percent for supplies, right? It doesn't sound sexy to focus on this five percent for supplies, but I'm sure that you've seen it, Art. We we have people that come in that are nine, twelve, fifteen percent for dental supplies. Come yes. on, guys. It's like, let's fix our inventory and our ordering first. And then, you know, when you say focus on your supplies, people, people get this notion in their head, like, oh, what do you want me to cut my two by twos in half? And now they're one by ones. It's like, no, <laughs> we're talking about, we're talking about be, being prudent and smart, knowing when the invoices come out, go out, making sure that you're not getting fleeced by your suppliers, um, making sure that you're not, that you don't have inventory all over the place. In my Personal practices, we take all the cabinet doors off um, because we don't want to have any hidden inventory. We track every single dollar that's spent on supplies and labs. So variable expenses first. That's the low-hanging fruit for us. We make sure that lab and and uh, and dental supplies are square, right? No, no more than like 12% for, uh, between the both of them. And once once that's done, then we also we look at little things like one and a half percent goes to uh, front office supplies. We make sure that that's not five percent on the pens and ink and paper clips that you're getting. It's crazy how things get out of control so fast. Oh yeah, it's it's I, it's incredible. I, I know a lot of the dental societies have um, relationships with companies where they can get discounts at uh, you know companies like Office Depot and and uh, Office Max and 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 yeah because it, every for every if you do a million dollars every 1% that you can save on your overhead is $10,000 in your pocket that goes to that profit right crazy yeah and and there's no extra dentistry that needs to be done no <laughs> it's 100% profit i don't know that, if you knew right. this art uh, but the Dental Success Network, which is one of my other companies, that's the one that has, uh, we have 1,100 members now, and we have the largest buying group in dentistry right now in there. We have uh, we have most of the major vendors in the world that discount um, uh, all supplies and equipment and software for us because of those 1,100 members, we have like $1.4 or $1.5 billion in collective revenue they're all trying to get to our member list, right? So sure. they will say, we don't take any kickbacks or anything, but they say, hey, we will take X percent off of this. We say, as long as you're not um, discounting any other groups more than us, then we're, we're willing to accept your discount. And then, you know, uh, we have a formulary that we work through in, in our group. But if, if it's not us, get on some sort of buying group. If you are an independent doc and you are, exactly. you know, if you're a regional group, that's less than five, uh, for less than five practices, one to five practices, you're alone. You're not getting the same deals that the large DSOs are getting. So get some right. negotiating power behind you. You know, we might have to make this a three hour podcast, but neither you <laughs> or I have that amount of time. But <laughs> yeah. I have been, I have spoken to the CEOs of some of the largest 
um, uh, DSOs in the country. And I will tell you, they watch every single penny. Yeah. Every yeah. penny. So uh, let's take a second, doctor. I want you to talk a little bit about your dental success network. I mean, I know, mm-hmm. uh, again, you, you you lecture all over the world and your podcast has got thousands of listeners and, um, you know, you, you do great things for the dental profession. Talk about a little bit about what your company does and how folks can get a hold of you. And, you know, uh, guys, again, a podcast is a call to action. I say this over and over again. I blame my repeating myself incessantly on all my podcasts on my late mother. Mom, I'm sorry you did this to me, but it's a call to action. We want you to listen to this and say, hey, you know what? I'm listening to Dr. Casas. I'm listening to Art, and there's something that needs to be fixed in my practice. And as we all know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So, uh, Dr. Costas, talk a little bit about what you do, your your company, and, and how that works, and how folks might be able to get a hold of you. And we'll put that in the show notes also. Thank you so much, Art. I really appreciate that. So, we have two main companies and they're both, they both start with Dental Success. So Dental Success Network is the large network of 1,100 dentists. Dental Success Institute is my private coaching group. We have about 200 dentists inside there. Okay, so Dental Success Network first, that, that is uh, a number of different things. It's a three-legged stool, I like to say. It is, a, it is a virtual network. We have over 20 chat rooms in there with 20 faculty that moderate each of these chat rooms. And they, we are talking about implant placement, IV sedation, but we're also talking, talking about things like taxation and, and decreasing overhead and practice management. So anything that you could possibly need to know about running a dental practice successfully, we have a chat room for that. So for instance, you could go into the practice management chat room right now, and there's probably in the last hour, there's probably six or seven people asking a question about overhead or the right vendor to use in this particular situation. What do I do? My hygienist called out for the fourth time in two weeks, those (laughs) sorts of things. There's lots of different chats going on at all times with moderators that are watching that. Uh, secondly, the second leg to the stool is that we have a huge continuing education library with over 300 hours of continuing education at their fingertips. We also have um, a branch of that called Front Office Academy, where you can we you can really increase the skill set of your front office team, your back office team, your hygienists. Uh, they can go there for advanced training, but we can also use that same platform to train people right off the street. Right? Maybe you had a great. A waitress or a great person at a retail store, a retail manager that wants to get into dentistry, they have the right um, personality and culture fit for your practice, but they don't know anything about dentistry. You just sit them in front of a computer and we have a 17-part series where they go from zero to to rock star and we teach them tooth numbers and and all about the billing process, all of that without having to ever step foot into the practice. And then once they have that base level of knowledge, then they can start coming into your practice and you won't waste time training them. And then the, the, the third leg to the stool is what we already talked about. That is our buying group. Like I said, uh, we are uh, connected with the Dental Wells Savings Network between them and us. Uh, merged together, we are the largest buying group in in the in in the profession of dentistry in the United States. So we get all of the best deals. Um, that is Dental Success Network. Now, Dental Success Institute is my private client uh, coaching group. We have um, a bunch of black belt coaches. Uh, th- these are all coaches that have gone through our curriculum. On the other side of it, they have overhead between 40 and 50%. They have a leadership score that is 80% or greater. Systemization score is high. Cultural assessment score is high. And they are the people that coach all of, of the other people in the group. Uh, we also meet several times per year. And um, uh, we, we do a, a bunch of financial reporting for them. And we tease out all the providers and uh, hygiene and uh, we let them know if they're overspending in different categories and we have a whole financial analysis team. So those are the two companies. And I appreciate uh, you letting me talk about them. <laughs> uh, what, what would be the best way if someone wanted to get a hold of your group and start and learn more, um, maybe a phone number and a website or an email, what, what would, whatever you want to give out? Sure. You can reach out uh, to me at info at truedentalsuccess.com. Truedentalsuccess.com is my, my uh, website for most of the things that I do. You can go to Dr. Mark Costas on Instagram or Dental Success Institute on Facebook. We have a Facebook group there with about eh, maybe seven to 8,000 people, dentists on, on that Facebook group. 
Well, that's I mean, this is as an accountant, I get all tingly just listening to all this stuff that <laughs> someone cares about overhead. All right, let's 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 get into phase two. So, in yeah. phase two, as I understand it, Doctor Costas, the goal is to drop the overhead from sixty percent, being thirty percent for the team and thirty percent general overhead, to fifty-five percent. Uh, talking about vendors. Um, yeah, and, and this is where, I, as I understand it, that you're going to get into increasing revenues to help do that. So talk about your phase two. Yeah, so phase two, you're, you're exactly right. We, we're we still at that point where we're um, saying that it's acceptable for all payroll non-related to the associate doctors and the, and the owner doctor to be still 30%. Fixed and variable expenses now drop to 25%. The reason that that drops is because now we're focusing on ramping up the the revenue in the dental practice. Typically, the lowest hanging fruit is working on the recall in the hygiene department and increasing the revenue from the hygiene department. We believe that the hygienist should be able to produce 3.3 times their hourly salary. That's all right. Yep. And about 30% of the total revenue of the practice. Now, that can go anywhere from 27 to 32%, but... It depends on the practice, depends on the, the type of practice that you have. Uh, that's why we have the two parameters, Art, because um, in these huge surgical practices where they're doing all on X every day, um, it's hard for the hygiene department to, right. to keep up and still produce 30% of the overall revenue. So we look at each individual provider in the hygiene department. If they can produce between 3 and 3.2 times their pay, then we know that they are supporting themselves in the hygiene department and will be profitable. Now, I also... I, I use statistics in some of my um, some of my lectures where we talk about how much of that hygiene production should be in the four thousand codes, and mm-hmm. we like to see about you know twenty five to thirty five percent of the production there. Uh, years ago, I spoke to somebody. I, I I lectured at a national sales meeting in Milwaukee for Henry Schein mm-hmm. uh, to their national sales team. I was talking to them. They said. And I think it's still true. The national average, if you look, and maybe you've got some different numbers, uh, if you look at the at, at all the dentists, what percentage of their hygiene production is in the four thousand codes? It's less than ten percent. Do you, what? What do you see in that area, and how important is 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 that information? Yeah, I mean, when when I do those types of analyses of the hygiene departments, we see anywhere from ten percent to you know sixteen percent on the high end, which is which is really, really sad considering that, you know, the uh, periodontal disease in the United States is pretty prevalent, over 50% yep. um, for the average population. So we are under um, we are under either billing or we are under diagnosing or we are not converting treatment plans um, in our dental practices if we're looking at the 10 to 15% range when uh, the typical population is over 50% for uh, the prevalence of periodontal disease. Do, do so, you find in in offices that the hygiene – is that a leadership issue that the dentist is just not making it so important to the to the team that we must fight periodontal disease? This must be a number one priority. Or is it that the hygienists don't find it important? Most of them are fantastic people, but mm-hmm. sometimes I hear that. What, what do you find? Well, let, let's break it down. I mean, it has to be a leadership issue. Everything that happens in your dental practice as the owner is your fault, right? So it has to be a leadership issue from the beginning. But legally, it it is also a doctor issue because the hygienists aren't allowed to to diagnose, right? Right. Ultimately, diagnose, right? So if 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 there's bleeding and there are um, five millimeter plus pockets and and there's calculus on the radiographs, that's a no brainer. That's easy. The problem is a lot of times the hygienists we see, hygienists are great, but we will see often that the hygienists will just say, yeah, the probe depths were within normal limits when they really didn't do it, do the probe depths, and they're doing profies on people that really should have some level of advanced periodontal care. So that is what we see. The doctor is not verifying their probe depths or the doctor is allowing the hygienist to do the diagnosing and not double checking. That's actually illegal. So we want to make sure that that is eliminated completely. And then there needs to be a really good verbiage and treatment planning and and case acceptance um, protocol to make sure that we're educating patients and and they understand the risks that are happening if we're allowing them to walk around with periodontal disease under our care. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and I hear that all the time. Uh, you know, it's just we we could do a whole podcast on all of this. Yep, so yep. let's move on to phase three, and I've got a little math example which is going to kind of prove out why your phase three works. So in phase three, it's tw- we want twenty five percent to go to payroll, and twenty five we want overhead down to twenty five percent. And then was it twenty five percent to doctor comp at that point, and twenty five percent to profit? Is that where you're going with this? No, it's 25, 25, 30. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I must and have then, written it down wrong. And then 20. Yeah. Um, so yeah, phase three is great. This is when things really start to, to hum, right? We understand the basics of business. We know the levers to push and pull. We understand that, uh, that our hygiene department is, is in good shape. We've plugged all the holes in the bucket. Now is the time that we can start ramping up uh, production. Now is the time when um, we are approaching black belt status and we'll start to give the blessing to either add more operatories or add providers, expand capacity. Maybe, you know, if you don't have room for capacity, maybe you're, you're expanding your hours. You're looking for that second practice if you're of that, of that ilk and you, and you want to be a multiple practice owner. But now is when we get into advanced clinical treatment plans. This is when we add surgeries or Invisalign and we really are starting to focus on increasing clinical uh, production because logically now is the time to do that because the business now is sound. Now it's okay to go out and spend $10,000 a month on marketing because we know that we will be able to track the, the marketing dollars that come back in. We'll be able to get patients in the office. We now know how to do a good treatment plan and we're getting more yeses. We're reappointing at the front desk. So yeah, this is this is when things start to look really, really good. And the dentist, you know, at, at a 20% uh, profit level, the dentist that's doing a million dollar practice can make $200,000 without actually picking up a handpiece anymore. And uh, yeah. that's when things get sweet. And and the thing is, is that, you know, so, so let me, I, I made up a little mathematical example, which kind of goes right to your phase three. Sure. So if I have a practice that's doing 75,000 a month and your goal in phase 1 uh is you know 30% to payroll that's $22,500 I'm required by law to do math since I'm a CPA on my podcast <laughs> I appreciate so, that Yeah exactly <laughs> you and I, you and our kindred spirits I can tell yes, the, And indeed. then and then then what we do is if we can get to this phase three that you were talking about and we can go from 75 a month to a hundred thousand a month and you want to be at 25%, that payroll is at $25,000 a month. So if we go from 75 to a hundred and we go from 30 to 25%, I'm going to increase the payroll from 22.5 to 25,000. Now I I'm going to, I'm going to ask and answer the question that I'm about to ask you. I don't know if that makes any sense, but mm-hmm. so you're, if I say to you, Dr. Costas, my practice is going to grow by 25,000 a month and I'm going to give my team an additional 2,500 and I'm dropping from 30 to 25%. Are you okay with that? I mean, you know, we're going to drop, we're going to drop the, we're going to increase the production by 25,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And in order to get to 25% payroll, if I'm doing a hundred thousand a month, my payroll is going to be 25,000 a month. Mm-hmm. It was 22,5 when I was doing oh. 75,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And the doctor can say, well, wait a minute. I don't want to give my team an additional 2,500 <laughs> a month. And you're going to say, are you insane? Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It costs money to produce dentistry, right? It costs money yeah. to produce dentistry. And if you are, if you're profitable, um, to the degree that you want to be in phase three, that's a no-brainer all day, every day. Of course, of course. And and you've seen this the other way too, right, Art? It's like, um, oh, I don't know if I want to hire this other chairside assistant or this other hygienist because it's going to increase my payroll. It's like, well, it's uh-huh. also going to increase your production, yeah. right? Yeah. And, 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 and I don't want to add that fourth or fifth oper- uh, treatment room. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so doctor, you go, now I'm not a dentist, I'm a CPA. You're a very highly skilled dentist. So if I say something incorrect, please correct me. <laughs> so you go in, you're going to do a crown. You go ahead and uh, you grind down the tooth and then the assistant's doing a bunch of stuff and you're waiting, right? Well, if you only have three treatment rooms, um, you can only wait. So you have to wait and you don't have other patients in those fourth and fifth operatories, right? So that's how you scale your dental practice is by having more treatment rooms, more provide, right? Isn't that kind of make sense? Absolutely. I mean, if you're of the growth mindset, it's interesting because I've done a lot of speaking in New Zealand and Australia and some in Europe as well. 
And it's very common to see one and two treatment room practices, but yeah. that's a choice, right? They, they have these 400 square feet offices with a waiting room. They're doing all their own cleanings. Uh, they have one person that's answering the phone and is a chair side assistant, if they even have a chair side assistant. It's just a style of practice, but the ceiling is hit very, very quickly as far as the amount of revenue that could go through that type of practice. And that's fine if that's what you choose to do, as long as you're watching you know, where your expenses are going, but you certainly limit the amount of revenue that you could generate from, from a, a lower capacity operation. Okay. And, and doctors, I, I, I again want to talk about, and I've talked about this before on this podcast, you know, when, when Ford Motor Company or, or, or um, you know, uh, Tesla or whoever, they build a car, they have variable and fixed costs. They have a certain number of people on the production line. They have a plant and equipment, all this stuff. In a dental practice, for every additional dollar that you produce, your marginal cost is generally somewhere between 15 and 20% because most of you, and, and Dr. Costas, I've been interested in your comments on this. Mm -hmm. My experience is most doctors with the dental team that they have, if they're properly trained, they can do in a one doctor office, two, three, four, $500,000 more in production without adding any team members other than maybe a couple of days of hygiene, Right. Yeah, it's, it all it all comes down to the ADA code mix, you know. Once you once you're doing higher level uh, production, you don't need a whole lot more people. No, that's for sure. It depends on the style of the practice, right? I mean, a Medicaid practice, you're going to need uh, a lot more people to to burn through a bunch of fillings and and stainless steel crowns and stuff like that. If you're more surgical practice, you know, you're sinking an implant and it takes you 15 minutes, and that that was a thirty two hundred dollar um, procedure. That's when things start to look really nice. So I, I, I want to I want to address an elephant in the room, and that's PPOs. Um, I I am not a fan of PPOs in general. I mean, there's they have their place in dentistry, but the average uh, discount in uh, in dentistry, based on my experience, is thirty eight to forty two percent. So in other words, if you're doing um, uh, you know, a 2950 crown and your UCR fee is 1500 bucks, you're probably getting somewhere around, um, you know, I don't know, 900, 950 for that. And that, that, as we said, when you do an additional dollar fee for service production, you get 80% profit. When you drop your fees by 40%, that all drops to the bottom line as a loss, right? So talk a little bit about how you at your, um, your Institute and your, your network, how do you address doctors when they're like, they've got tons of PPOs and they think they have to sign up for everything? Yeah, that is one of those topics that we could talk about for days and days. days. And days. Oh, I know, <laughs> but I'm not going to give you days. I'm going to give maybe a couple of four or five minutes. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, no problem. No problem. I have my, my group of 16 dental practices has always accepted PPOs. Okay. Um, we, we also make it very, very easy for people with um, without dental insurance to come into the practice because we ha we advertise and we're very open about our discount membership plans, right? So we have a fee-for-service element of our practices, but most of the people that come in for fee-for-service have some sort of a discount and they're sticky to the practice because they're members of the dental practice. Here's my, here's my take on PPOs. Not a fan. I don't love to see that the typical dental insurance uh, uh, CEO is making $15 million while they haven't increased the fees since 1995 for us dentists. <laughs> um, I mean, they're exploiting us as badly as you can be exploited. They make it very, very difficult every single time that we want to, to, to do an SRP or a bridge or an implant. They make it difficult. They're not our friends. They're there to make money. And we are the recipients of, of their um, greediness. I really believe that. However, the reality is that a huge percentage of the United States population has dental insurance and are not willing to go anywhere else except for a dentist that will accept that insurance. I love fee-for-service practices. Is it practical for everybody? The bottom line, Art, is it is not. No, in so, some cities, it's not. It is, it is absolutely not. It is not. And even if you buy a fee-for-service practice from somebody else, the beloved doctor goes away. And a lot of times you have huge attrition because people are... Uh, foregoing their insurance benefits to see their beloved doctor and now he's gone or they're driving from 
great distances to see the beloved doctor and they're not using their dental insurance. So as soon as you take over, even if you're a great guy or gal, they're still going to leave because they, they figure uh, beloved Dr. Smith is gone now. I'm just going to go and utilize my insurance somewhere else. Okay. So that is my take on that. Here's the thing. If you have to take dental insurance, which I always have at all of the practices that I've owned, and I consult with a lot of people that accept dental insurance, you have to do it the right way. Right, you you said earlier that um, we were we were talking about knowing exactly how much things cost in your dental practice. I always joke that McDonald's knows exactly how much a sesame seed costs, right? But yep. dentists don't have any idea how much it costs to produce their production. So we are crazy, crazy about tracking every expense. So we know per operatory per hour how much it costs to run that operatory. We know how much the disposables cost for every single different clinical procedure per hour. We know what the lab fees are. We total all that stuff together and we can make really good sound decisions about, okay, I can accept this PPO because here's their fee, fee schedule. This is how much it costs to run this, this operatory for this procedure for this hour, including heating, cooling, the, the front support desk, the rent for this particular operatory for this hour, all the disposables, this is how much it costs. Here's how much they're going to pay me. Um, and I can make a decision whether or not that's a, a, a good decision. Now, if you're, not, if you're not up to date and you have no idea how much it costs to produce that production and you're saying yes to these PPOs, you could, in essence, be losing money for every procedure that you do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the other thing, Dr. Costas, that I've seen is a lot of doctors, they sign up for every PPO. And when they sign up for one PPO, the way the insurance companies have it worked, you may be signing up for 20 at the same time. So yeah, there are well. companies out there, and I've I've interviewed, I mean, I'll mention a name, uh, my friend Clint Johnson, uh, Profitable PPOs. He's he's in your state, as a matter of fact, in Arizona. He <laughs> he will look at a PPO mix. And he's, he, I have one client here in South Orange County, uh, took them over as a accounting client about five years ago. And he says, Art, I just bought my practice before I met you two years ago. It was 90% PPO. The, the reimbursements are horrible. I, I introduced him to Clint. Uh, he increased just by taking the mix of PPOs and dropping insurance company A, but going on to insurance company B, keeping the same patients, but getting a maybe an 8% higher reimbursement. He increased this guy's fees by almost $200,000 in one year. So that's another thing, doctors, that you can do. It's about being a good businessman, Dr. Costas, which obviously that, that's your, that, that should be your mantra. Be a good businessman, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sophisticated business owner. That's what we shoot for. Oh, absolutely. So after we get to phase three, we're hopefully at about a 50% overhead, right? That's what our goal is? Yeah, that's that's the ideal. We actually, we have so many uh, gunners in our group now, especially our uh, our uh, mastermind group, which is what DSI is called, uh, that we have had to create a phase four, which is 45% overhead. And um, there are lots of killers out there that are hitting that 45, 40 to 45% overhead. They're phase four. They're black belt with a stripe. You know, they're, 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 getting, to, <laughs> they're getting to master's level. And uh, yeah, they, they just are doing all the right things. And you get this momentum going once you start to be able to track things. And it becomes second nature for everybody on your team to, to watch every dollar, to make prudent business decisions. And it becomes part of the culture. And once that happens, you know you're in a really good place. That it, and, and until you reach that point, you shouldn't expand and you shouldn't be looking at, uh, at multiple practices. Uh, are most of your doctors who are in that 45, 50% range, are they doing a lot more big cases, a lot more quadrants, um, a lot more implant? I mean, what, what are, what's their secret sauce from a 35,000-foot view? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably most of the 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 phase four practices are a little bit more surgically geared, or they're doing a ton of clear aligners. Um, a lot of these a lot of these places have their own labs now at this point because they're so um, they're so uh, have such a high volume that they're able to support their own lab, and that really really brings that that lab percentage down. You're you're talking about thirty bucks a crown to 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 fabricate these things sometimes, and and they're they're duplicating and printing 3D printing their own dentures. So th those are some of the ones that we see that are really really dropping their overhead, high surgical and and very very um, technologically based. 
And and I want to I want to jump in since you mentioned having your own lab doctors. We at Ide Bailey have a whole group that that has helped lots of dentists with the research and development income tax credit. So uh, I, I I obviously I'm going to mention names. We have a large group. Uh, it's a three doctor group. They have an in house lab. They do research. Um, we have been able to get them over a half a million dollars in tax credits over four years. Um, now, your average—I I hate to use the word average because nobody's average. All anybody who's a dentist is above average, as far as I'm concerned. But th- for those of you who have an in-house lab, uh, many of Dr. Costas's um, clients and in, in, in your group—if um, you have an in-house lab, I would say yes, you want to look at the research and development tax credit. It is a—I mean, it's money in your pocket. If you're in California. The California credit is bigger than the federal credit. In many other states, they have a state credit also. So the numbers start to get silly. So just keep that in mind, Dr. Costas, and and and, and to everybody who's listening out there. So I would love to talk to you for days and days and days. I know I, I'd love to have you back on again. I know that you have uh, – yeah, maybe, maybe just comment on a couple of high points. I know you have uh, in your in your teachings, you have your five areas to turn a practice around. You talk about foundation, mission, core values, operational manuals, uh, lifetime patient experience, overhead and cash flow control. We just talked about in the new patient acquisition. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right now we're in twenty beginning of twenty twenty two. We've just been mm-hmm. through the worst almost two years that any of us can remember in life. Uh, it's not going away. This COVID-19 is not going away. Pandemic's not going away. Maybe let, let's wrap up this podcast, Dr. Costas, with you're coming into 2022. I'm assuming you're excited to help the dentists again for another great year. What's your top priorities in your coaching business and uh, in helping doctors? And what do you think they should be looking at going into this new year? Yeah, that's great. I, it, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite movies, Forrest Gump, when um, you know he he bought a, a shrimping boat with his friend Bubba, and uh, they went through this huge hurricane, and um, all these other boats boats were sinking, and he he somehow, by the grace of God, managed to to not sink, and then they showed what happened when he weathered that storm and all the profits and all the shrimp that he was able to get because all of his competitors were gone. So, you know, I, I kind of, I think of things the same way. Uh, these types of challenges, particularly with people that um, are in our profession, I'm super proud of our profession because we've really banded together. Um, you know, organizations like yours have done a great job with educating how to maximize the federal dollars and all that stuff. Um, but I'm super proud of our profession for being able to not only weather it, but a lot of, of uh, practitioners and business owners, uh, practice owners have been able to thrive and actually grow during these unprecedented times. What we're focusing on with our clients, particularly people that come in and they're like, hey, I've been listening to your podcast for three years now. Now I'm finally ready to join either the network or or your institute for some private coaching. We're always working on making sure that we're building a sustainable and profitable business, right? So we're, we're talking about knowing all the basics of dental practice ownership, becoming, like you said, well, like I said earlier, a sophisticated business owner so you understand what's happening in your dental practice. Delegation is awesome, but only after we have the, the, the base level education and knowledge to be able to supervise the people that we're delegating to. So it's, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. So it's all about systemization. It's all about culture. It's all about leadership. It's about overhead and cash flow control. It's about after all of that stuff, it's about, you know, acquiring the right type of patient that you want in your dental practice. And um, HR too. We all know that uh, human resources is probably one of the toughest things uh, about business ownership. Human beings are very complex and difficult to manage. Um, And most of us will never master it. I'm still working on it. But uh, those are the sorts of things that we're working on with our, with our clients. Well, I, and I want to, again, I love everything that you've said today. I want to just make one comment. And, I, and again, we'll, we'll go back to my mother. Her name was Cynthia. Repeat yourself, Arthur. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> and I'm going to do it again and again as long as I'm on this stage uh, with, with, with my thousands of listeners. Uh, I'm going to tell you, doctors, you are not about fixing teeth. You are about a better life 
a better job, a better self-esteem for your patients. And when we have a doctor buy a new practice and they ask me, well, what's the first thing I should say to my dental team? And I would say the first thing that I should that you should say to your new dental team who doesn't know you, who's had a loving, wonderful, caring doctor for 40 years and now you're taking over is dental team. I am excited to work with you and I want to let you know that my number one priority is the total health of our patients. And that's what it has to be, right? I mean, Dr. Costas, isn't that, I mean, being a good businessman or a good businesswoman is really important. Making a good profit, funding retirement, paying off your house, that's all important. But but the reason that you and other people went into dentistry is to make people's lives better, right? No, it's absolutely true. I mean- uh, there's been periods of time when I stepped away from clinical dentistry to manage all of the businesses. Um, I still do, you know, one to two days a week of clinical dentistry now because we lost a couple associates over the pandemic and they've had to move on. And I got to tell you, when you go in there and, uh, you know, some of my practices I've owned for 15 years, you go in there and you see somebody that is now graduating from college that you saw as a five-year-old or is now a grandmother for the very first time, or they were your fifth patient at this dental practice and they're still at the practice. These are lifelong relationships. We are not treating teeth, we're treating human beings. And I think we we are the luckiest profession ever because we're able to establish these relationships for life. You know, you don't get that for many other professions. And, uh, but yeah, I I could not agree more, Art. Uh, Dr. Costas, like I said, it, it has been an honor and a privilege to talk to you today. I am, as I mentioned, I, I I know lots and lots of people in dentistry and all the the big names we, we have not met before today. I will be honest with that, and I am thrilled that I've had the opportunity to spend some time with you. Um, why don't you one more time uh, give out your information if someone wants to contact you uh, to find out more about your uh, presentations, your uh, your podcast, uh, your your you know, your services as a coach for your team. Why don't you give out some of that information? And then if you would stay with me until I take the podcast out, uh, I would appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So the one thing that I didn't mention is the Dentalpreneur podcast. It's exactly like it sounds, dental and then preneur, like the second half of entrepreneur. Um, five days a week, we're over 1,300 episodes now, um, well over 5 million downloads. So Make sure you check us out there. Um, and once again, the socials, Dr. Mark Costas, C-O-S-T-E-S on Instagram. Facebook, uh, our, fa- our closed Facebook group, you can join it um, and talk to me directly. That is Dental Success Institute on Facebook. And then truedentalsuccess.com is my, uh, is my URL. So come on over any of those ways to, to get in touch with me. I'd be glad to, to speak with you anytime. Well, do- doctors, again, I have just presented you for the last hour, another fabulous resource in the dental profession to help you to be more successful. If you are, and and again, I don't advertise for any of my guests. I am not a marketing person for any of my guests. I don't need to be a marketing person for Dr. Mark Costas. He does a really good job of doing it himself. But the fact of the matter is, is my my legacy in this profession, and I'm coming up on 40 years as a dental CPA, is to help you to meet your goals. And folks like Dr. Mark Costas and some of the other people that we've had on our podcast are gonna be the keys. If 2022 is the year that you're ready, and one of my mentors is is my partner in my practice sales business, Dr. Phil Potter. Dr. Potter said, Art, the patient is ready when the patient is ready, not a minute before. (laughs) If 2022 is the year that you're ready to make some serious changes in your dental practice. I've just given you about a one hour opportunity to listen to someone who can help you with that. Uh, With that, again, Dr. Costas, please stay with me for a minute as I take the podcast out. Folks, please remember again to go to our website um, for Decisions in Dentistry magazine, our wonderful partner, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Uh, great clinical content, 140 CE courses at a very reasonable price, uh, a who's who of clinical dentistry. Um, make sure if you want to get in on our webinar on the HHS Provider Relief Fund, we're going to basically walk you through step-by-step. Step. It will be airing live on January 21, which is going to be before this podcast goes live. So you are more than welcome to email me at 
A. Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at Eide Bailey, E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Uh, I'll get you out the uh, invitation. You can basically watch the webinar uh, to your heart's content even after it's gone live. Um, you have to report by March 31st. And also, again, if you're looking for a dental CPA, folks, we we have a thousand dentists clients here at Ide Bailey. Uh, but I have my mothership, which are my dear friends all over the country, the Academy of Dental CPAs, many of which are in the uh, well, we're all over the place. It's www.adcpa.org. Take a look at what we've got going on there. Again, we are Ide Bailey. And uh, my office number is 657-279-3243. Boy, this is fun. God, I, I keep, you know, it, it, it takes work. I don't know how Dr. Costas does a podcast every day. I think my brain would explode. I get, he's my new hero. But um, uh, this is really fun. And I love being behind a microphone. I love talking to you. I've been blessed with hundreds of emails and, and texts and stuff like that from people who have, you know, said, hey, Art, you're doing the right thing. I think I am. We're going to continue to do this all through 2020, 2022. Um, and I'm very, very excited about this year. It's going to be great. Uh, the rain has stopped here in Southern California. I was on the golf course last uh, uh, yesterday. It was a beautiful day. And um, it's going to be a great year. So with that, everyone, this is Art Wiederman. I'm going to sign off. This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast with Art Wiederman. CPA. It has been an honor and a privilege to be with you uh, today. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.